to be launching into a new series together called Drop the Mic. And you might be thinking, but we didn't finish the uh, series on Acts yet. What about the Powerful series? And I realized we didn't do that. And I also realized that our attention spans and how some of us need a little change of speed from time to time. So that's why we're, we're making this switch right now. We'll come back and finish up Acts before the end of the year. Um, but I want to invite you um, to read with me. Maybe, you, maybe you'd like to do like we do in church and stand <laughs> as we honor the reading of God's word to us in our opening text. So we're going to be reading from the book of wisdom. So let's just um, approach this prayerfully and and just ask God to speak to us today as we listen. So this is from uh, Proverbs chapter four. It says, listen carefully. You might want to just repeat that in your mind. Listen carefully, my dear child, to everything that I teach you and pay attention Pay attention to all that I have to say. Fill your thoughts with my words until they penetrate deep into your spirit. Then as you unwrap my words, they will impart true life and radiate health into the very core of your being. So above all, guard the affections of your heart for they affect all that you are. And then he says, pay attention again to the welfare of your innermost being for from there flows the wellspring of life. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for your word to us um, this day. God, we thank you for this opportunity and this technology that we can um, do a redo on this and, and share your word. So God, prepare our hearts right now. Open up our ears and our spiritual eyes so that we can hear and see um, the things that you would have us um, to hear and see on this day. God, we thank you. Speak to us right now. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. So here's what I know. For all of us right now, we're living in a world that's cluttered with all kinds of sound. And there are voices coming to us from every direction. And we get them on our screens and we get them in conversation. And there are so many different avenues and so many different voices that at some point you and I have to make a decision. Who's got the microphone in our life? And and I've studied about microphones a bit. And I'll save you all the history about how the microphone um, was invented and has evolved over over time to this small, sophisticated um, thing like what I wear on Sunday mornings on my face. But when you boil it all down, everybody pretty much understands the microphone. The microphone is created to amplify sound. And interestingly, the word microphone means little sound. And so it's a play on words because the little sound becomes a bigger sound and a more dominant sound, right? Because of this technology of amplification. Now, I just remembered that I have some props that are over in the sanctuary building. So excuse me just one second while I run over there and get them, okay? So anyhow, today we're asking what is the loudest voice in my life? What point of view in my story today is on the microphone, drowning out other voices and drowning out other opinions and steering my thinking and my emotion as I move through my days? And what God wants me to know today and he wants you to know today um, is that we get to decide, we get to decide who is on the mic. And um, we can't silence every voice in the planet, but we can decide 
decide which voice gets the microphone in our heart. And so I just wanted to give us a little visual for this series, and I don't have a very good place to place this um, in my setup here over, over here in the office for it to be on camera, but it's going to be there every Sunday on the pulpit as I'm preaching. Um, and so I just want to remind us for every single day and every conversation and every opportunity and every time I pick up a phone or turn on a television or sit down with a group of friends, somebody is always going to be trying to grab my attention. They're going to be trying to grab the microphone and they're going to want you to know that whatever they have to say is the most important thing. Wow, that's kind of loud, right? Whatever they want to inject into your thinking, into your heart, into your faith story, that's the most important thing. And so you're going to want to make sure that you decide who's on the mic. And obviously we want to get the negative voices off of the mic, but we also want to make sure that we get the positive voices on the mic. And over the next few weeks together, we're going to talk about some of the voices that are on the microphone of our lives, microphone, (laughs) amplifying a message into our story. And today we're beginning with this one that for a lot of us, even right now, fear is on the mic. In other words, fear is just not on the mic, but it's hogging the mic. And I'm not just talking about concern. I'm not talking about dealing with the real issues that we have right before us. I'm talking about the kind of fear that projects us into scenarios and outcomes that haven't even materialized yet. That kind of fear that pushes us late at night into playing out all kinds of outcomes and maybes, most of which don't happen in real time. And that kind of fear is a paralyzing, dominating and crippling fear. And when that kind of fear gets on the mic, it will absolutely destroy our peace of mind and ultimately cause our faith in God to erode and most likely put us in a really bad place emotionally and or even physically. And so fear's got the mic for a lot of us. And I want to talk about how we can know that and how it can respond to that this morning. Okay. And, or whatever time of day you're watching this. And we're going to start by looking at an old Testament passage, which is so powerful. It's found in first Kings chapter 19 in this text. It's amazing for me to watch how quickly someone with a powerful faith story can be dominated once fear gets on the microphone. And I'm saying that today because as this story unfolds, I want you to know it's not as simple as if I just had more faith, I wouldn't be dominated by fear. If I was just a stronger Christian, I wouldn't be dominated by fear because we're going to look at the life of a person in this text that we're going to read today who has an amazing, amazing heart of faith and an amazing ability to believe and trust God, even when his own life was on the line. But very soon after that, fear got on the mic. And when fear got on the mic, it had an unbelievable ripple effect in his story. So let's pick it up in chapter 19 verse one. And then we'll back up and see some of the backdrop to this story. It says Ahab, that's King Ahab, told Jezebel, that's his wife. King Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets. So backtrack with me for a moment. A lot of us know the story of Mount Carmel. Um, and in this particular day and age, Ahab had became the, um, he'd become the king in Israel. And what it says about him, if you track back a few chapters, is when he became king, he, became, he, he did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than all the kings before him. 
So Ahab is a bad guy. Um, Ahab doesn't honor God. He doesn't revere God, but he's in the position of being a king over Israel. And then Ahab takes a second step. And maybe this is all you need to hear today. Maybe this is the message that God wants to put on the mic for you today. Ahab takes another step and he marries Jezebel, who is from a different people and an ungodly group of people. And he actually then in the process of marrying her, begins to worship and honor the gods of her people. They worship the god of Baal. And uh, they, they put up an altar, the Asherah, and he became a worshiper of the of a Baal. And so he, he's, he's the king of Israel, but now he's worshiping a false god and worshiping an idol, building places of worship to this idol. And Jezebel, basically, she's got the microphone in his life. And, and, and she's running the show and she's telling him how it's going to be. And as you see the story unfolding, she doesn't want to hear anything about the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So she sets out to kill all the prophets of God. So this is a bad scenario. And one of Ahab's advisors, Obadiah, who's a prophet, he's trying to preserve the voice of God for this generation. So he hides a hundred prophets in two caves, 50 in one and 50 in the other. And they're just trying to weather this storm of Jezebel. And in this moment, God speaks to Elijah and he says, I want you to go to King Ahab and I want you to have a conversation with him. That unfolds with the showdown at Mount Carmel. And what Elijah says is, you bring all the prophets of your God, Baal, and and I'll meet you there and we'll see whose God is God. So 450 prophets of Baal show up, 400 prophets of Asherah show up, 850 of them versus Elijah and, and his God, our God. And he says, you go first, you call on your gods to come and consume the altar and the sacrifice and nothing happens. And so then Elijah says, I will call on my God. They build the altar. They put the bowl on it. They douse it with water one time, two time, three times. And then Elijah calls out to God. God sends fire down out of heaven. He consumes the altar. He consumes the sacrifice and the trenches and the water. And God displays his mighty power. And when he does, it strikes fear in the hearts of every man. All the prophets, all the false prophets, all the prophets of Baal and and Asherah, they're running for their lives. And so now the story's beginning to unfold. This God of Elijah, he's a mighty God. And so one more thing happens in this sequence. There's a famine in the land, but God says, I'm going to break that famine and I'm going to show my power. And so Elijah goes and he looks towards the sea and he doesn't see anything, but God says, I'm going to send rain. It's God's word. Elijah wants to believe it. He doesn't see anything, but God says, I'm going to send rain. And Elijah tells a servant, go look go look, go look. He sends him to look seven times. He sends him to go look. And the servant comes back and says, after the last time I see a cloud, but it's only as big as a man's hand. And Elijah, at that point, he knows God is going to do what only God can do. And so he's going to break the drought. He's going to send rain. He's already displayed his power and he's going to do it again. Amen. And so Elijah leaves from uh, Mount Carmel and he tells Ahab, you need to go now because it's about to rain. And your chariot, it's going to get stuck in the mud, brother, if you stay here any longer. So Ahab heads home and in uh, it says in this last verse of this chapter, pretty amazing verse. And in a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind and there was a great rain and Ahab rode and he went to Jezreel. Now notice what it says in verse 46 and the hand, some say some translations say power here and the power of the Lord where the hand of the Lord was on Elijah and he gathered up his garment. He pu- he pulls up his robe, tucks it in his belt and he ran 
ahead of Ahab, before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. So it's just amazing to me. It's kind of like this Forrest Gump moment. Um, it's, it's like, you know, here's the king in his chariot with his horses heading home to Jezreel and Elijah just comes by. Hey, how's it going? How you doing? Uh, and he's, you know, he's, he's, he's running there and you good? Everybody good? All right. See you later. And then he just takes off in the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and God has come down and displayed that he is Lord and, and the cloud is coming and the rain is going to break the drought. Now, Holy Spirit is all over Elijah and he's out, out running a chariot and his horse is all the way to Jezreel. This is, that's the experience. All of those experiences are what just happened to Elijah. Okay. So there's the setup. And so when Ahab gets home, he tells the story to Jezebel and he tells her how all the prophets died. And, and so now all of his prophets died. And so now we're caught up. And in verse two, it says this, then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, quote, so may the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them that you slain today, one of the prophets she's talking about. In other words, that by this time tomorrow, it's a threat. And so Jezebel had such a brazen heart and such an evil heart that she's hearing about the glory of God and the power of God and the way God had come and the way the drought had been broken. Even hearing her husband Ahab tell, I was riding in the chariot, man, and he just came running by and he just, he took past us and he beat us all the way here. He, you know, she hears that, all of that. She takes all of this in about the power of the one true God. And what does she do? Does she say, well, you know, maybe we should rethink our position. No. She, she's brazen and she's blinded by the power of darkness and, and she gets on the mic and she says, send a message. And you can imagine, can you just imagine this message arriving to Elijah? Elijah, I've got a message for you from Jezebel. She wants you to know that her position is this. And I quote, may the gods do to me and more also if I, I do not make your life as one of them <laughs> by this time tomorrow. You get it? And when Jezebel got on the mic, fear dominoed into Elijah's heart. I just outran a chariot. He just outran a chariot in the power of God. But in one instant, one voice, all of a sudden now is resulting in a cascade of fear in Elijah's life. So look how it unfolds in verse three. Elijah was afraid and he arose and he ran for his life. In other words, fear now is in this story, and it's a kind of fear, not that just would make him concerned. I need to take stock of Jezebel and maybe go back to the Lord and see how he wants to handle this. It was not just concern, but absolute terror had taken hold of his life, and he's running for his life. And we see this in story unfold here. When he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, he left his servant there, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and he came and sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die saying, and I want you to look here and notice that fear is now on the mic. He says, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and he slept. It's crazy how fast fear can turn the tables 
in our story when fear gets on the mic. It's the kind of fear that is causing us to project ourselves into all kinds of crazy scenarios and what ifs and maybe this is going to happen and what if this is the outcome. When that fear gets in our lives, we'll see some of the same patterns that you see with Elijah here in scripture. So let's let's write those down really quick. Fear causes us to primarily do four things. And they are right here. Number one, fear, when it's on the mic, causes us to forget what God has done. So as soon as that voice is there, but, you know, what if the doctors say this? What if the bank says that? What if my boss says this? What if the news tells me that? And as soon as that voice gets a hold of the microphone, do you know what we do? Oftentimes, we forget. Bam! I mean, we forget what God has done. So Elijah, he's just days removed from seeing God do the unbelievable, supernatural, and miraculous. And now he has completely forgotten about the power of God. The second thing fear causes us to do is to forecast all the terrible things that are going to happen to us, right? It's interesting when you look at this text in the Hebrew, where when we're, what we're reading in verse three that says Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. In some translations, there's a little asterisk by the word afraid. And when you look at the footnote, it says, or could be said this way, Elijah saw. Elijah saw. So when you look at it in the Hebrew, what it's really saying is, yes, he was afraid, but he was afraid because of what he saw. And he allowed that to be in a, to affect, you know, infect his, his thinking. In other words, he was forecasting his own outcome. When he took stock of this message on the microphone from Jezebel, he didn't just go, okay, I heard the message. That's great. He, when he heard the message, he put all of the story around it. He built all of what had happened to the prophets, right? All of, all the fact that she he had this power and this authority, and then he projected himself into that story and forecast what that would mean for him. I fear because I see myself in and am forecasting myself into all of these bad situations. So there are, there are studies about this whole idea about how much energy we spend every day. And I think a lot of us do this forecasting bad things that are going to happen. There's a lot of research and actually very scholarly articles that you can read by psychologists and psychiatrists and people who study sociology. And they pretty much all say the same thing that for the average person, 80 or 90% of the negative events that we forecast happening in life never, ever happen. They don't happen. Can, can you just think about that for a second? I'm spending all this time and all this energy and 80 to 90% of the things that I'm trying to solve and work out and control and figure out and manipulate or avoid, 80 to 90% of those things never happen at all in real life. Yikes. And so we're burning up all of this time and this energy, all of this effort, forecasting. Why? Because fear grips us deep in the heart and causes us to see ourselves in situations that we can't control. The third thing, third thing <laughs> that fear does is it causes us to flee. So right away, Elijah was afraid, right? And he ran for his life. And some of us are considering fleeing today. We're considering fleeing all kinds of circumstances and situations and even fleeing our calling and our conviction and our commitments and our assignment. We, we talked about our assignment in the book of Acts. We're fleeing that because fear is on the mic. And then the fourth thing that fear does ultimately, the sort of end game, if you will, of fear is what is that we would fold, is that we would just give up, that we would not only forget what God had done, not only that, but that we would forecast all of these bad things, most of which are not going to happen. And not only would we flee and run from what God has called us to do, but at the end of the day, fear wins when we fold and when we give up, when we just close up shop and say, I'm done. 
And to think that Elijah could be there, it's incredibly disturbing in a way to think about. But it's, if it's okay for me to say this, it's actually also incredibly encouraging to think about because I know that I've gotten to this place more than a few times in my life where I've seen God do something wonderful and miraculous that I forgot about. I forecast some situations and circumstances that in fact didn't actually happen. I tried to run from what God had put on my life. And at the end of the day, I just said, I just want to quit. I just want to quit the whole thing. I want to give up. How many of you ever been there? Because the spirit of fear, here's here's why this happens, is from the devil. And the spirit of fear is rooted, a lot of people will say, they call it the spirit of Jezebel. And the spirit of Jezebel was some kind of intense, brazen fear from this darkness that wanted to take the prophet of God, the one who is going to appear on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. Remember, it was Moses and Elijah that was there. And take him out of the story. Let's take him out. And when fear gets on the mic, that can happen to Elijah and it can happen to you and it can happen to me. He said at the end of it, I had enough. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And that just reminds me of Jesus saying that the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. Right. And so one of the ways he does it is by getting fear on the mic. And when fear is on the mic, this domino effect again, ultimately can lead us to folding altogether. But I want us to see how the story plays out because that's all pretty devastating so far. It's like, well, thank you so much, Sean. I appreciate this message. I'm glad I tuned in today um, to church. Well, let's just keep reading a little bit longer uh, because God is not finished Uh, in this story. It says all at once in the middle of verse five, an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. Now he's walked a day's journey into the desert. So what's he going to eat? Right. And he looked and behold, there at his head, a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. Notice how God comes right into the moment to show once again, his provision and care. Isn't that amazing? And he ate and he drank and he lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, arise and eat for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and he ate and he drank and he went in the strength of the food, 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. There he came to a cave and he lodged in it and behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? And, and so maybe that's what God is wanting to do in our lives today. Maybe that's it. Maybe in this moment, the Lord is coming to you and he's saying, what are you doing here? How did you get here? I, why are you in this position? Why are you at this juncture? How did you get here when I had you over there? And so he's asking him, Elijah, what are you doing here? And here comes Elijah's response. He said, I've, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, throw down your altars. Thank you, Ahab. Thank you, Jezebel. Right. And killed your prophets with the sword. And I even only even I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. So Elijah's got the same narrative. He's still operating in those four F's. I forgot. I forecast. I fled. And now I'm ready to fold. I'm ready to give up. And so he's got that narrative going, but the Lord says, go out and stand on the Mount before the Lord. And it says, behold, the Lord passed by. Now, does that sound familiar to anybody? 
Now, just to give some context here, Mount Horeb, the mountain of God, as it's called, is 40 days and 40 nights journey south from where Elijah was at Mount Carmel. So most theologians believe that Mount Sinai and Mount Horeb that's mentioned here are the same mountain known as the mountain of the Lord. So remember when Moses was there in the crack of a rock with God's hand over him and the back of God's glory passed by, God's saying similarly in this situation, I want you to go on the mountain. I'm going to pass by again, and I'm going to interrupt this story in a significant way. And this is what happened. It says, a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him that said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous. Elijah responds and he says, you know, we we had already read it. He, He says, all of this happened. Not only am I left, they seek my life to take it away. In other words, Jezebel has been on the bike, but now God's got the mic. And so for this moment, God is now speaking in his voice, even though it's this gentle whisper. I Now, I'm, I'm not trying to make more of it than what's there to fit into this theme of this journey. But the gentle whisper, think about this, came in the cave, which is a natural amplifier. It's it's like the first microphone. It's a natural microphone. And so the whisper now is resounding in the caves and into Elijah's heart. And the Lord said to him, go and return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. God says, go back the way you came. That's the message. And then God gave him an assignment that we don't need to break all the way down. But he said, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elijah, this is his successor, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. Go back because I am not finished with you yet. Go back because I have an anointing on your life. Go back because I have things for you to do. And I want you to go back and set in motion the plans which I have sent for you. I've created you for good things. Don't forget that. So there are a few things for us to look at as we wrap this up. If fear's got the mic, how do we get back to the point where we're amplifying what's good and amplifying um, uh, what's true? Number one, four things. Number one, we have to train our spiritual ear to the whisper of God. We have to take the energy and the time to begin to train our ears to hear out of all of the noise that is around us, the voice of the father, because there's going to be a time just like we just read when rocks are going to shatter and fly. There's going to be an earthquake. There's going to be like everything is crumbling down around us. There's going to be a raging storm around us. But in the midst of it, God is going to be speaking and we've got to train our ear to hear that word. I love how Proverbs 420 paints this picture. It says, We read this at the beginning. Listen carefully. Maybe just say that in your spirit again. Listen carefully, 
my dear child, to everything that I teach you. And what? Pay attention to all that I have to say. Fill your thoughts with my words until they penetrate deep into your spirit. Then as you unwrap my words, they will impart true life and radiate health into the very core of your being. So above all, guard the affections of your heart for they affect all that you are. Again, he says, pay attention to the welfare of your innermost being for from there flows the wellspring of life. I think this is scripture's way of saying, make sure that you have a say about who's on the mic. Notice the phrases, listen carefully, pay attention. Do you know that I've heard it said recently, you've probably heard me say it before and I tend to agree, that your greatest currency and my greatest currency right now is not the debit card that's in our wallet uh, or the cash that we have on hand. Our, our most valuable currency right now is our attention because that's what people want. People want your click and they want your comment because your click and your comment put cash in their account. So when we give our attention to this mic or that mic or this mic or that mic, we're actually paying with the currency of our attention. And if I could just say it this way, I know for me, I get what I pay for, right? And so if I'm letting fear on the mic and I'm paying with my attention to fear, I'm paying with my time. I didn't, in other words, I didn't just read the headline, but I read the whole article and the other three articles and the two links that were attached to that. And I got involved with the panel with the four experts of the talking heads when they came on and this guy said this and that lady said that and this other expert said that. And then this guy came in and they fought with each other and then they duked it out and then a commercial break. So I just paid all of those people with my attention and they came back and they took it into another story. And I didn't just get the headline, I got the whole deal. And now I've paid 45 minutes of my attention to put cash into their accounts. And what I got for my 45 minutes of attention is exactly what I paid for. I got fear in my heart. I probably did not get a solution. I didn't get anything that caused me to feel confident necessarily. I didn't get anything that was going to help me make a better decision. I just got unsettled. I got frustrated. I got angry. And now I've got a whole lot of what ifs in my mind that I can now play out into all these future scenarios and outcast 80 to 90% of which are not actually going to happen, but they're going to dominate my days and dominate my nights. And so I want to encourage you to learn how to train your ear to the whisper of God, because he's not necessarily, he's not going to shout over all that noise. He's not going to break into your, you know, little circle of six people. And that one person that talks all the time and always has the opinion. And he is always telling everybody how it's going to go. He's not going to come in and say, no, 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 no. It's me talking. Listen to me. Listen to me. No, but he's going to come through his word and by his spirit and his still small voice. And he's going to keep speaking confidently to you about the things that are true and dependable about you. You are a son or a daughter of, of him. Um, he loves you. And in that moment, though, he's not going to say, don't be concerned about legitimate things. You know, he's going to say what Jesus said to us. You can't add one single thing to your life by worrying about tomorrow. You can't. Tomorrow is going to have issues. Just trust me. Just trust me with that. You don't have to forecast them. There's already issues um, coming tomorrow. But let's just let tomorrow be tomorrow and know that God is going to give you what you need today. 
look at the lilies of the field, Matthew says, right? Look at the birds who are flying in the sky and remember your story that God's going to give you what you need. He cares for you. I know for me, a good practice is to close all the apps on my phone at night. And when I wake up in the morning, the only app that's open is the Bible app. So that when I grab my phone, if I grab my phone, which necessarily doesn't have to be the first thing that I go to, the only thing that I'm going to see is not social media. It's not the news feed. It's not even a text or an email from the friend. I want to see the word of God. And so I take refuge in these words because they are from the God of the ages. And he's still speaking to his sons and his daughters. Words that are good and words that are pure and words that are dependable and words that are true. And you and I have got to learn to train our spiritual ears to hear. The second thing that was important for Elijah was that God told him to go back the way he came. So for us... We need to go back the way we came. And let me explain that I, I, a little bit. I, I just love this advice. It's what it, what it is. It's God saying to me today and saying to you today, just retrace your steps. I know this looks like it's all going to fall apart. So let's retrace our steps. and Let's go back to the place where you saw me coming through for you. And let's go back to, to where you came from. In other words, remember what God has done. Remember what he's already done. Go back to the places where God has come through. And I know for some of us, maybe you're listening to that and you're like, I don't remember the last time that God came through. Or maybe you're new to the story and I don't even know if God will ever come through for me. Well, if nothing else, which most of us, we're not in this position, but if nothing else, we could all retrace our steps back to the cross. And we could see in that moment, I can trust and I can depend on God, even when it looks like everything is at its worst, when death is at the door, um, you know, God is still good, but you don't have to go that far. Most of us just retrace your steps. Just like Elijah, just go back to yesterday. Go back 40 days. Plus if you go back to Mount Carmel, right? Go back to the day that you outran the chariot. Go back to those moments and remember the faithfulness of God. Remember the last time that he came through. Remember that the angel who came and woke you up under the broom tea and there's fire and coal and a fresh cake and bread on it and a jar of water. You remember that? Great. Now let's go back there. And when we get there, let's go, wow, I was ready to give up and lay down and die. But God came and he cooked a meal, provided nourishment for me so that I could continue on in his purposes and his plans for me. The third thing that I want to encourage us to do when fear gets on the mic is to anchor our hearts in a defiant belief that the spirit of Jezebel is wrong. In other words, to anchor into a confidence in God that leads us to believe that when Jezebel says in 24 hours, you're going to be... She's wrong. She is dead wrong. And I think that leads, when we do that, to a confident humility. Both of them together, confident and humble. It puts me on my knees to say, God, I just want to bow down low before you because all manner of darkness is against me right now. And the voice of fear is trying to destroy me and get me to fold. So I bow low before you because there is a vigilant enemy. But I rise with confidence in my God. And I'm going to step forward in the confidence of the spirit, the voice of the darkness that says, you're not going to make it. Have you heard that voice in the microphone? You're not going to make it. You might as well cash it in. You might as well flee to the desert. You might as well fold all together because you're not going to make it. Your thing isn't going to survive. Your outcome is going to be disastrous. 
You hear those voices on the microphone? You ever hear those? And for you to be able to stand in that moment, to have the anchored hope and the God of the ages that says, I don't believe it. And I don't, I don't buy that narrative for my God. He writes the days of my life. And if he's written it by the end of 24 hours, you know, what's going to happen. Everything's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. But whatever you're saying, I don't put any stock or any weight in that. In fact, let's read the story for ourselves. Fast forward to 2 Kings chapter 9. Jezebel's ending was pretty brutal. And Elijah was taken up in a chariot into the heavenly glory of God. And there's got to be a defiance here because I'm, I'm just telling you from firsthand personal experience that this spirit of fear that we're talking about, it won't back down. Oh, well, I memorized a verse of scripture today. Then fear is going to go, great, I'll get you tomorrow. Oh, well, I've got a friend praying for me. Well, great, I want to destroy them too. That's what fear is going to do. Uh, and this spirit, you'll see it right here in the test. This spirit will not back down. And so you have to just anchor in and say, I don't believe it. And I'm not, and I'm not going to walk in that fear. I'm going to walk in the confidence of my God. And then the fourth thing is that you and I need to proactively engage with our assignment. We need to engage proactively with our assignment. That's how you get fear off the mic. You get that gentle whisper on the mic. You get God reminding you to go back the way you came. You get God reminding you to look at all these places where I've come through for you. You get God reminding you where there was a cake and a jar of water. You get God reminding you that he's greater and that the one in you is greater than the one that's in the world. But at the end of the day, the way fear gets off the mic is when you proactively move back into the assignment that God has given you. Remember book of book of Acts, you've got an assignment. Move back into that versus Elijah, who's under a tree wanting to die, walking into the desert and abandoning what God's put on his life. And what does God say? I just need you to turn around right now, brother, and go back to where you came from. Remember, I need you to go back to the desert of Damascus because I have stuff for you to do. I have an assignment for you to do. And the way that you can push away the fear of losing your life is to re-engage with the assignments that are going to bring life to others around you. And some of us today, I just believe that this message is going to be amplified, that this whole series is going to be amplified in our hearts. I don't know who you are. I don't know what your exact circumstance and situation is as you're watching this. But I know that God called you to something and he has assigned you for things and he has set you in motion to be a part of his kingdom agenda. And if you are paralyzed right now and if you are immobilized by fear and you haven't stepped out into what God put on your life for a long time, maybe because of this paralyzed uh, and, and, and immobilizing fear in your life, fear is telling you things like this. You can't, you won't, and you never will. If you've heard those voices and you've listened to so much of it and forecast so many disastrous scenarios that you found the safest place you could under whatever tree you could, and to get out of the scene and out of the story and out of your calling and out of the fray. And God is saying to you today, I need you to get back in the game. I need you to get back in the race. I need you to do what I've assigned you to do. Elijah, go. Anoint kings. 
that's what I have for you next. Go call up the next generation of the prophetic who's coming behind you. Go set things in motion for my purposes, which are going to continue on Jezebel or no Jezebel. And I want you to go in and set my plans in motion. And as we go, it doesn't mean that the spirit of Jezebel is going to fold. It just means that we're going to be preoccupied by trusting God to do the thing that he has called us to do. And we're to be satisfied by watching God come through on his calling and assignment for our lives. For so many of us right now, maybe fear is on the mic. It's, we've seen it so much in this last year even, and I'm so glad that right now and in all the right nows of today and for the right nows of tomorrow that you and I have the opportunity to let that gentle whisper, Holy Spirit, take the mic. And I believe that whisper is on your mic, maybe even right now. And it's God telling you that he has always had you and he always will. He's got you today. It's God telling you if you had 850 prophets against you, if you had 850 against you, he'd still be enough. It's God telling you don't fold. That's the enemy's plan. That's not my plan. Don't give up. It's God telling you, I make bread and I provide water. And every day you're going to have what you need. It's God telling you, there's still a reason that you're breathing right now. There's still a reason why you're on earth. So don't give up today. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your message to us. And God, we thank you that um, your still small voice, I'm just going to pray it for everyone that's listening today, that your still small voice will speak louder than all the other voices and commotion and of fear that will try to um, attack and make their way to our microphone. God, I pray, Lord, that you would train us, you would help us, we would have the wisdom to learn to hear your voice, that we would spend time practicing your presence, getting to know you as our father, as our Lord, as our, as our daddy God, as someone who loves us so much and wants to speak to us. And Lord, give us the desire, the heart's desire to hear your voice and learn to hear it, even in the midst of the chaos and the noise that we live in. God, thank you. I pray, Lord, that your voice would cut through all of the distractions and other those, all of those loud voices. God, today we cast down the spirit of fear. And Lord, um, we give you the microphone. 